Welcome to Murder Most Foul, a podcast devoted to exploring famous murder cases of our time. Some solved, some unsolved, but all fascinating and guaranteed to raise the hairs on the back of your neck. I'm your host, Jim Solonowski. Today's episode... Eva and the Hangman. In 1930, Eva Duggan became the first woman ever executed in the state of Arizona and the last person to face the gallows in that state. Author Rod Cackley tells us the twisted tale that I'm calling Eva and the Hangman. Welcome back to Murder Most Foul, Rod. Well, thanks, Jim. Thank you. So this is an interesting, uh, every one of my Murder Most Fouls are interesting. I have to say that. But what's interesting about this one is I have covered books that have just come out have uh, been published, but haven't, like, I usually uh, gauge them when they reach the library. Mm-hmm. And uh, this one, though, is even different from that. It's not published yet. It is still in in uh, process. You'll tell me how far, whether we're just in final edit or it's still in story form. But that's what's going to be fun. It's a, a new book, which we you'll tell us about the possible titles. There is not a set in the stone title of it, but the case is out there, and that's what we're going to discuss today. So, uh, Rod, so tell us about uh, the case and and where you are in the uh, uh, publishing uh, uh, situation. I should have it done, Jim, by the end of next month. I was really hoping to get it done this month, but that's just not happening because I keep finding out new angles on this story. This is the story. It's either going to be titled The Murder of Old Man Mathis, or the day that Eva Duggan died. And I'll tell you why it could be either way. Eva Duggan, uh, this, this takes place uh, from 1927 to 1930. I've really kind of gone into what I call historical true crime these days. Uh, things that happened before, and I just picked this date at random, before 1979. So this one happens in the late 20s to early 30s. Eva Duggan uh, was the what was the first woman to be executed in the state of Arizona. And she was the last person to be hung. And there's a reason for that. Now, what happened was Eva lived a rough life. She was born in Missouri, uh, was married, had two children. Her husband mysteriously disappeared. He was the first of four husbands to mysteriously disappear. Eva could not keep a husband for one way or another, okay? <laughs> so she, find, she sees the gold rush is going on in Klondike and the Yukon at this time. And so she decides to work her way up there and make some real money at the gold rush. She makes money as a saloon singer. She's a very good singer. Uh, but there's only so many bars and taverns, even in the Yukon and the Klondike during the gold rush days. So she winds up on the street as a prostitute. Uh, her kids are old enough at some point, she realizes that they can let, she decides they can live on their own. And she wants to get out of the Yukon and the Klondike because the law is after her for one reason or another. 
Uh, so she works her way down south to Vail, Arizona. She gets rides with truckers all the way down to Vail, Arizona. And there, one of the, she knows she needs some place to settle. She needs to make some money. One of the truckers tells her about a guy by the name of A.J. Mathis, Andrew J. Mathis. He's a wealthy recluse, a chicken farmer. That's how he makes his money. And they call him Old Man Mathis because he's 62 years old. As a 67-year-old, I take offense to that in 2022. So uh, 1927, 1928, she shows up at the doorstep of A.J. Mathis. They say that he needs a housekeeper and a nurse, and she can handle that, she figures. So she shows up at his door and offers her services uh, to this lonely old man. Uh, he takes her in, and she moves into the house with him as, home, as the housekeeper and the nurse. They don't get along really well, but one thing they do decide is they can make some extra money at prostitution, and she's going to be the prostitute. And AJ figures that, hey, over at the Holiday Hotel in Vail, they make a ton of money, the prostitutes do, and I want to get a share of that. So he sets to work. He sets up a, a mini brothel uh, with her as the madam inside his house at his chicken ranch. And things are going well until Ava Duggan decides to strike out on her own one night and goes to Vail and gets into that hotel. Well, he shows up and he's mad as a wet hen. Pun intended. Right. Yes. Yeah, right, right. So anyway, they argue, they fight and they split up. OK, she goes back to the house. And this is January 14th, 1928. And guess what? Just like her ex-husband, all of her husbands, A.J. Mathis disappears. He's gone. Where did he go? Well, here we got a new character named Jack. Jack does not have a last name. Jack has only been seen by Eva. AJ, who has now disappeared, and a couple of the people in the town have seen this guy named Jack, but he's a mysterious character, a young, good-looking guy. Well, AJ disappears. He sees a couple of, he just disappears. Eva says, hey, he went to California. He wants to go to, he went to California. He wants to live there, and he wants me to follow along, and he, we will be married in California. He signed everything over to me, so I'm going to sell his chicken ranch. I'm going to sell everything. And I'm going to take his Dodge Coupe. He had a nice big blue Dodge Coupe. And I'm going to take that because that could be mine. Well, nobody in town believes this. So they go to the sheriff, Jim McDonald. Now, Jim McDonald is another really interesting character in this story because he is the last of the cowboy sheriffs, as far as I'm concerned. Jim would much rather ride a horse than drive a car. He wears a big sombrero wherever he goes. He's always got a six-shooter strapped to his side. I mean, he is the last of the cowboy sheriffs. They go to Jim, and they say, this can't be true. We think Eva killed him, AJ. Well, Jim's not crazy to investigate this, nor is the county prosecutor, Lewis Kemp. But both men need to be elected to office, okay? They're not appointed. Sheriffs and prosecutors are elected, so they need these votes. So they've got to keep these townspeople happy. And it's the rich people in town who think there's uh, trouble afoot here. So they investigate. And you know what? Jim decides, the sheriff, Sheriff McDonald, decides there is something crazy here. 
something that does not make sense. Eva has been going around trying to sell the cow. They had one cow trying to sell the cow to a neighbor. She's obviously drunk, Eva is. And so the neighbor goes to the sheriff, Sheriff McDonald, and tells him the story. Well, one thing leads to another. And McDonald and Eva disappears. And the sheriff goes after her. But how's he going to find her? I mean, he's, she's got like a four or five day head start. Well, he goes to the local postmaster. And he says, has Eva mailed any postcards? Have you gotten any postcards from Eva? Well, yeah. As a matter of fact, Eva has been writing postcards from wherever she's been. Why? We don't know. Except that she's trying to build a case that she's on her way to see AJ. Well, he tracks her down and she's with Jack, supposedly, this Jack. And Jack is driving because Eva doesn't know how to drive the Dodge Coupe. So they sell the Dodge Coupe in Amarillo, Texas. And she's got 600 bucks. And guess what? Jack disappears. He's never been seen again. Jack has now disappeared. We don't know what happened to Jack. So anyway, she's mailing these postcards. And they finally track her down to an insane asylum where she's got a job as a pantry maid in White Plains, New York. She makes it all the way across the country from Arizona to White Plains, New York. How is Jim going to go find her? Well, as a matter of fact, a couple of NYPD detectives owe him a big favor because one of their people that they were after wound up in Vail, Arizona, and Jim arrested and held that guy. Okay, so they owe him a favor. So they tracked down Eva working in this insane, insane asylum and arrest her, but not for the murder of A.J. Uh, Mathis. They arrest her for the theft of the Dodge Coupe. They got here for Grand Theft Auto. Well, Jim buys a set, J Sheriff McDonald buys a set of fancy city clothes, puts them on, and goes out to White Plain to New Yeah, they take her back to New York City. He buys a set of city slicker clothes and goes out to New York to pick up Eva, along with Lewis Kemp. And they take along an Arizona Daily Star reporter, too. This guy is going to figure into the story as well. And so there's all these really interesting characters, and they bring her back but they still don't have AJ's body. They still can't prove, but they go to AJ's ranch in the meantime, and they find, remember, you know, I've never seen one of these in real life, but I've seen them in like old movie, ear trumpets. They find this in the wood stove of AJ's house. It's like somebody tried to burn it. So they figure what they did was they beat this poor guy to death with his own ear trumpet. And so then they, um, but they still don't have a body, okay? They've got all this evidence, but no body. It's all circumstantial. Well, they bring Eva back to face charges on the car theft, on the Grand Theft Auto. And she's just like having fun talking to Jim McDonald, the sheriff. She's just going back and forth with him. And we've got in this story, we've got all the direct quotes because the reporter was along for the ride. So anyway, so they find all this stuff, but still no body but they get a conviction on the grand theft auto. So they know that Eva's not going anywhere. She's gonna be in the county jail. But then as luck would have it, somebody from Oklahoma, a guy from Oklahoma buys a couple hundred acres directly adjacent to the AJ Mathis chicken ranch. 
no house on there. So he's got to set up a tent to live in until he builds the house, drives a stake in. And guess what? He finds A.J. Mathis. No, 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 yeah. no, no, no. You're, no, now you're he, making this up. No, no he drives no. his tent stake in. And there is A.J., the skeleton. And it's got to be A.J. because like you and me, he's follically challenged just a fringe of red hair around his skull. Okay. And the fringe of red hair is still there. And the dentures are still in the guy's mouth. So it's got to be A.J., right? So then... So one thing leads to another, and, you know, there's all kinds of crazy stuff happening in this story. And they press murder charges against Eva. So they press murder. And so Eva, then she's got this lawyer, Stanley Samuelson, and they change their tune when they go to the murder trial. Uh, Stanley says, and Eva says, yes, I knew that A.J. was dead. I knew he didn't go to California. I knew he was dead. And I knew that Jack killed him. Remember the mysterious Jack? Jack killed him. And because they got into a fight and it was over me, they were fighting over me, Eva says, and yeah, he killed him. And then I went and I drove off with him because I didn't know what else to do. And, you know, I'm just a poor woman who was not a prostitute and was not a saloon singer. And, you know, da, 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 da. I mean, so... So anyway, she's on trial for murder, blah, 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 and she gets convicted. And that story doesn't sing. You know, the jury, it takes the jury one hour and 25 minutes to convict her. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, Lewis Kemp, the, the, the county attorney, he just blows one hole after another into this story. And um, so you can forget about reasonable doubt. Stanley, the defense attorney, does his best, but he can't do it. So anyway, he was convicted. And she kind of deals with it and she's making, they call her in the prison, she picked up a nickname. They called her Cheerful Eva because she was such a happy-go-lucky soul. She could sing a song and she was making little, oh, little knick-knacky kind of things that she would sell to the other inmates to raise money for a funeral dress because she had no money. She had no friends, not a friend in the world, really. Now she's got a son and a daughter, a daughter lives in White Plains. That's how she wound up in White Plains. But she, her son, she never, you know, lost track of the son. He pretty, she pretty much abandoned them, okay, when they were up in the Yukon. So she's making these little doodads, you know, making money, and she's singing songs, and just, they called her Cheerful Eva on death row. She's in the Florence State Prison, which is an interesting side of the story, too. The Florence State Prison replaced a much older facility, and the prisoners actually built the Florence State Penitentiary in Florence. And they built the gallows where people were hung. So the prisoners actually did this because while they were building it, they got to sleep outdoors in tents, which is a heck of a lot better than the dungeon that they were living in before. So anyway, Eva's on death row. And um, Arizona, a lot of people in Arizona did have a problem with a woman being executed especially a woman being hung to death. It is not a pleasant way to go. A couple of wealthy women, one, a, a, a real frontier. She was a pioneer in Arizona uh, from one of the original families that settled in Arizona. They decide to raise money uh, to appeal Eva's case. And, but the only way they do it is through an insanity plea. They decide to plead in, Stanley decides to plead insanity. And although he had all the money he needed, he lost. Eva's going to die. That was her last case. She's, you know, the insanity plea, she's, she's going to die. 
There's no two ways about it. Eva has a really tough time with that now. Now Eva's having a tough time. She smuggles in somehow a couple of bottles of poison. And the last thing they want her to do is commit suicide. Even though they want her to die, they don't want her to commit suicide. Back when she was first found guilty of murder, one of the first things they did was take all the glass and wood out of death row so that she wouldn't have anything, any way to commit it. So anyway, she's really, she goes hysterical after, the, after losing the insanity uh, case. She's just in hysterics. They actually called the warden, uh, Lorenzo White, Lorenzo White, and Lewis Kemp, the county attorney, the county prosecutor, the district attorney, they call them at dinner and bring them back from their dinner to deal with her. She's so hysterical as she's coming up close to the day of her execution. And so finally, they calm her down and they give her some sedatives and they get a doctor to give her sedatives and they calm her down. And then it's the day of her execution. This is 1930. It's been a, year, a couple of years leading up to this. They're walking her up and she really is, she's kind of like, you know, the, now the reporter from the Daily Star is there. Uh, Sheriff McDonald is there in the audience. You know, they always have witnesses at executions. They lead her up and she's handling it really well. They put the noose around her neck. Uh, you know, they tighten it and the, the, the hangman has his hand on the lever. He dropped to open the trap door under her feet. He pulls that lever. The trap door opens. Her body goes down and her head pops right off. Her body falls to the floor, boom, you know, what's left of it. And there's blood everywhere, obviously. And then her head just kind of goes, boom, 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 boom. And that's it. And that's why they decided to never hang anyone else in Arizona. The warden white kind of goes, okay, everybody out. Nothing to see here. Everybody out. Everybody out. And so that's why they never, never hung another soul in Arizona. Because Eva Duggan, and the day Eva Duggan died, her head popped off. And it sort of sounds like a, I don't want to make light of it, but it sounds like a, uh, you know, good, uh, a bedtime story. And everyone lived happily ever after. Yeah. They built a gas chamber. They decided I was going to say, go what, gas was chamber. what was substituted and how long before it was up and running? As long as it took the prisoners to build it. Oh, I see. So the obviously prisoners built it. Already, this right. was already a, a way of execution in other states. So they didn't. Right. Right. Yeah. And if you now I don't think you and I talked about my book, The Murder of Thora Chamberlain. No. OK. Thora Chamberlain was now this was my first venture into real historical true crime. Thora Chamberlain is a 14, just a few days shy of her 15th birthday uh, girl, a little girl, a teenage girl who was kidnapped, abducted and thought to be murdered in California, Campbell, California. This was back right after the war in November 1945. The guy who was convicted of killing her, even though they never had found her body, he was executed in a gas chamber in California. And the way it works back in those days, it's really rather primitive. You sit on a chair over a tub of water. And then on the slides, cyanide tablets come rolling down the metal slides down into the water underneath you. So you're sitting there the whole time strapped in and then they bubble and foam and, you know, and the smoke comes up, you know, the air, the fumes come up and you slowly die, you know, that way. So it's a pretty rough way to die. 
said the hangman probably made a mistake with her weight and they think that she, he put the noose on wrong. Uh, it, it went like kind of under her ear rather than around her neck. Yeah. So he made two mistakes, the weight and the way the noose was placed around her neck. Yeah. Now, does she have, you mentioned White Plains, does she have any living relatives? Yeah, she does have the, uh, her daughter and her son were both alive. And, and it actually, AJ, after uh, Eva died, uh, AJ had a wife who like popped up out of nowhere. Mm. And so there's all kinds of stuff that's just pop up out of this book. And, you know, I'm still in process of writing it. I'm, I'm probably, I would say, the second draft but I still have not finished it all the way. Have you been able to contact the daughter? Or is she like off the radar? No, they're, they're dead. You know. Oh, they're, 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 the children they're, are dead. Yeah, 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 everybody's gone. Everybody's gone. Yeah, <laughs> which is kind of interesting when you're writing historical because then you don't have to worry about the survivors, you know. Let's yeah. talk about your other, uh, it's in the same realm, but uh, last time when I first talked to you, I was not aware of it. I wasn't, I thought Isidore was was a uh, publishing company. So ah. It says the Isidore Collection. So yeah. you've created in, in for fiction, I know a lot of crime, true crime authors have dual citizenship of writing fic, full fiction and uh, true crime nonfiction. Uh, and this is clearly, uh, you have created this fictional place. It's your own little Lake Wobegon. And you have police, uh, you have a police chief that's a big fat guy named Lumpy. Mm -hmm. And so you create these great characters. And the one that I'm not sure if it's recently um, uh, published or you just, uh, you know, sent it to me. And, and we, thank God I'm on your email blast list, by the way. And it's called Go Big or Go Dead a serial killer thriller. Yeah. And just the description, which I'm not going to read. I mean, I want you to tell us yeah. what, what is the story be the, behind Go Big or Go Dead? The story involves a, a, a girl. A, she, she's a teenager, but she's an older teenager. And she and her best friend, uh, she, her, she's Bree. Her, she, her best friend and really her partner, Beth, decide they want to become rich and famous but they don't want to get their hands dirty while they do it. So what they do is they team up with a serial killer who happens to be a high school biology teacher named Tim Sheldon. And it turns out Tim Sheldon, and now neither B nor Bree nor Beth know this at the time, but it turns out Tim Sheldon has been killing people since he was a teenager and hanging them out to die in the St. Isidore Park. It has a forest in this park. And, it, and for the town, they knew something was going on, but it was easier for the people of St. Isidore to believe these people kill, committed suicide than to believe there was a serial killer in their midst. As I say, the St. Isidore collection is more than a series of books. It's the creation of a community and its people who live, love, and kill with abandon. So the, the plan that Bree and Beth come up with is they're going to have Tim Sheldon kidnap Bree. It's going to be a full kidnapping and take her on the run. And Bree sets it up saying, Tim is just so in love with this girl. He met her on the internet. Okay. So this is kind of an indictment of the internet too. And people matching up on the internet. And it's like, before you hook up tonight, make sure you read this book. So anyway, they're going on. And so she sets it up. So the cops are at Lumpy and his cops in St. Isidore are tracking her and Tim as they go along. And she's on the phone with Bree. 
Well, because this is like a biology high school teacher who kidnapped a former student, the cable TV people pick up on this. And so all of a sudden there's worldwide attention around St. Isidore and this park where all the dead people were found hanging in the trees. So the cable TV news people dubbed it, changed the name of this park to the Suicide Forest. And now the Suicide Forest becomes part of St. Isidore. And actually in real life, there is a Suicide Forest in Japan. And I didn't find out about this until after I wrote this book, but there is a suicide forest in Japan. And there's also a bridge in China where people jump to commit suicide. And so many people do it that they have to station cops and psychologists and psychiatrists on the bridge to try to stop people from jumping in China. So anyway, so Brie goes off with, with Tim Sheldon, this, and, and they go on this big chase, and the cops are after him, and the cable TV news people are all over it, of course, you know, and like flies on, you know. And so there's <laughs> kind of an indictment of cable TV news by the time I get done, too. You're indicting everybody for cops. Indicting everybody. So then at the end, what happens? In, oh, no, no, part, no, no, no. Stop. Okay, yeah, okay. Stop. We'll stop there. Okay, but we still don't, we don't want to tell the ending because we right. want people right. to buy the book. Let right. me, this is so, the whole St. Isidore place yeah. is so fascinating. I mean, it's out of Twin Peaks and all yeah. the other weird stuff we have out there. Have you been approached or have you tried to sell it as a, as a Netflix thing? No, but you know what? I was just thinking about that today. As a matter of fact, Jim, I was thinking about that this morning that I should. That, you bet your ass uh, because, you should. Because, see, not only did I do Go Big or Go Dead, but also, you know, the St. Isidore, the, the suicide forest, what happens is the community decides that this is a real economic driver. So they're selling hangman uh, car uh, deodorizers. And the thing is, in, in St. Isidore, when somebody wants to play hangman, they're dead serious. So... You know, so it becomes an economic driver. But then what happens is all the tortured souls of Suicide Forest. I mean, in now I, another book is called um, Wake the Dead. And this is about a guy named Caleb and a woman and Carrie. And Carrie's new in town, but she wants Caleb to take her to spend a night in the Suicide Forest, which has become the thing to do. Well, if Caleb had been thinking with his brain, he never would have done this. But he takes Carrie into the suicide forest one night. And it's called Wake the Dead and what happens to them there, where they meet all the ghosts and spirits and evil demons. And then, and sometimes things break, thanks to some kids playing with a Ouija board, the spirits break out of the suicide forest. And it's up to two ghosts, uh, Cindy and uh, the other one, his name escapes me right now, but it's up to them to put them back into the suicide forest. So you see a couple of paranormal mysteries and paranormal time travel thrillers come okay. out of the suicide we forest are, too. The, the Zoom is gonna throw us off. I can always start a new one, but I, we've got a great okay. podcast here. And I wanna tell my folks that all you have to do is go to Amazon and put in Rod Cackley uh, yep. books, and that's K-A-C-K-L-E-Y. All the books on both uh, True Crime and the St. Isidore folks will come up. Uh, and you obviously, once you get the titles, you can either, they're, they're all, I'm pretty sure, on Kindle. Uh, yep. If you, got, you don't have all the money in the world for hard copies, but you can also go to your library, go to your Barnes & Noble. They're all there. And uh, it's, it's the, the case when the book comes out, I'll have you back to see how it's doing. Um, it's the fascinating story of 
the last woman or and or person actually hung in, in uh, Arizona. So again, Rod, I want to thank you so much uh, for your time. It's been a blast. Hey, thank you, Jim. The trap was sprung. At the end of the drop, the snap of the rope decapitated her and sent her head rolling to a stop at the feet of the spectators. Her heart continued to pump blood out of her severed neck, spurting blood for several minutes after the decapitation. The grisly scene caused five witnesses, two women and three men, to faint. So I'd like to thank you folks for kindly tuning in for another episode of Murder Most Foul. If you liked what you heard, I hope you'll tell your friends. Information about the podcast and an email link that can get a message to me can be found at the podcast's website. The address being www.murdermostfoul, all one word, no caps, no spaces, dot com. So until we meet again, stay safe. And for God's sakes, don't murder anyone. Thank you.